And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today's September 21st, 264th day of the year. 101 days remain to the year's over with. Uh, you all have asked me to talk about holidays and observances. It's National Cat and Dog Gut Health Awareness Day, Armenian Independence Day, Belize Independence Day, Escapology Day, uh, Get Ready Day. For what? I don't know, but get ready. You prepared for an emergency crisis? Maybe you ought to look into that. International Day of Peace, Mabon Day. Uh, Malta Independence Day, Miniature Golf Day, National Brittany Day, National Chai Day, uh, National Garage Condo Day, National Hannah Day, and National Christina Day, National Opioid Awareness Day, National Pawpaw Day. Uh, tastes like a cross between a, a mango and a banana. Um, can't say it's ever been one of my favorites. National Pecan Cookie Day. Telegraph Pole Appreciation Day. Wales International Film Festivals today. Uh, World Alzheimer's Day. World Gratitude Day. World Mini Golf Day. All right. Uh, that having been said... In 456 A.D., Emperor Avitus enters Rome with a Gaelic army and consolidates his power. 1170, then the kingdom of Dublin falls to Norman invaders. 1217, Livonian Crusade. The Estonian leader, Lembatu, and Livonian leader, Kaupo, the accursed, are killed in the Battle of St. Matthew's Day. 1435, the Congress of Arras causes Burgundy to switch sides in the Hundred Years' War. 1745, the Hanoverian army is defeated in ten minutes by the Jacobite forces of Prince Charles Edward Stuart. 1776, part of New York City is burned shortly after being occupied by the British. 1780, American Revolutionary War. Benedict Arnold gives the British the plans to West Point. He was promised a title and lands and wealth. He was upset that he wouldn't make commander of the American army instead of George Washington. 1792, French Revolution, National Convention abolishes the monarchy. 1809, British Secretary of War, Lord Chesterod and Foreign Secretary George Canning meet in a duel on Pitney Heath with Castlereagh uh, wounding Canning in the thigh. 1843, the crew of the schooner Ancud, led by John William Wilson, takes possession of the Strait of Magellan on behalf of the Chilean government. 1860, Second Opium War. Anglo-French force defeats Chinese troops at the Battle of Palakayo. 1896, Anglo-Egyptian conquest of Sudan. British forces under the command of Horatio Kitchener take Gongola. 1898, Empress Dowager Chi Xi seizes power and 
ends the Hundred Days Reform in China. 1921, a storage silo on a pile of Germany explodes, killing 500 to 600 people. 1933, Salvador Lutheros establishes Mexican professional wrestling. The Luchadors. 1934, a large typhoon hits western Honshu, Japan, killing more than 3,000 people. 1938, the Great Hurricane of 38 makes landfall on Long Island, New York. Death toll is estimated to be between 500 and 700 people. 1939, Romanian Prime Minister Aman Celinescu is assassinated by the Iron Guard. The Iron Guard, for those that are not aware, was the Romanian version of the Nazi Party. Founded in 1927 by Corneliu Zila as the Legion of the Arch- uh, Archangel Michael, or the Legionary Movement, it was anti-democratic, anti-capitalist, anti-communist, and anti-Semitic. Different from the other European right-wing movements of the period due to its uh, spiritual basis, as the Iron Guard is deeply imbued with Romanian Orthodox Christian myth- uh, mysticism. Um, in March of 1930, Codrenu formed the Iron Guard as the paramilitary branch of the Legion, which in 1935 changed its official name to the Tatul Pinthru Tara, which meant everything for the country. It existed in the early part of the Second World War, during which time it came to power. Members were called legionnaires, or outside of the movement, they were called green shirts because of the predominantly green uniforms they wore. The uh, Truman signed a bill that no member of the Iron Guard could come to this country after World War II. However, thanks to the OSS and later the CIA, files were changed to delete such affiliation. The doctor who did my outprocessing physical for the military was a member of the Iron Guard, and he was proud of it. I taught at the infantry school, and he made speeches to some of the classes about uh, his time in the Iron Guard. When he came to this country... He was asked, what do you want to do? And he said, I want to be a doctor. He'd been a medic. And so the director of medicine for the Army waved his hand and made him a doctor. One of the most incompetent SOBs I'd ever met, who only had a nodding acquaintance with taking a bath. Used to run around in a holy T-shirt while he did his physical exams. He had been an eye, ear, nose, and throat doctor, but he killed somebody on the operating table by putting, uh, while putting a tube down his throat. He cut the carotid artery from the inside, which is damn hard to do, I understand. Federal court found he was incompetent. So the Army moved into doing physicals, taking the position he couldn't hurt anybody doing that. Well, he did. He screwed up my physical badly. But that's okay. You know, disabled veterans are second-class citizens. I've been... Made been made, that's been made eminently clear to me by the VA itself. Um, 1942, the Holocaust in Ukraine. Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur. Nazis sent over a thousand Jews of Pidhatsi to Belzac extermination camp. I never found a justification for any of that. People are people. I mean, give me a break. 1942, the Holocaust in Poland. I'm sorry, uh, 1942, the Holocaust in Ukraine, and 
Don't know. Let's see. Ukraine, Nazis murdered 2,588 Jews. 1942, the Holocaust in Poland. Then the Yom Kippur, Germans ordered Jews to permanently move from Constantia now to uh, Biala Podlaska. 1942 also saw the Boeing B-29 Super Fortress make its maiden flight. 1953, Lieutenant No Kum a North Korean pilot, defects to South Korea with his jet. He got um, asylum. He also got a reward for turning in the jet. 1957, Pamir, a four-masted bark, was shipwrecked and sank off the Azores during Hurricane uh, Kerry. 1964, Malta gains independence from the U.K., but remains in the Commonwealth. 1964, the North American XB-70 Valkyrie, the world's fastest bomber, makes its maiden flight from Palmdale, California. 1965, the Gambia Maldives in Singapore are admitted as members of the United Nations. 1971, Bahrain, Bhutan, and Qatar join the United Nations. 1972, Philippine President Ferdinand Marcos begins authoritarian rule by declaring martial law. His wife, I understand, had a hundred pair of shoes. Sometimes would change two or three times a day. 1976, Orlando Letier is assassinated in Washington, D.C. at the order of Augusto Pinochet, who was the head of uh, Argentina. 1976, Seychelles joins the United Nations. 1981, Belize is granted full independence from the U.K., 1981 also saw Sandra Day O'Connor unanimously approved by the Senate as the first female Supreme Court Justice. I met her and had several conversations with her. Not the sharp, very nice lady, but not the sharpest knife in the drawer. 1984, Brunei uh, joins the United Nations. 1991, Armenia gains independence from the Soviet Union. 1993, Russian President Boris Yeltsin triggers a constitutional crisis when he suspends Parliament and scraps the Constitution. It's Russia. What do you expect? Also, in 93, a Transair Georgian airline, uh, TU-134, shot down by a missile in the Black Sea near Sukhumi, Georgia. 1996, the Defense of Marriage Act is passed by the United States Congress. Those are not familiar with that. It was a federal law passed by the 104th Congress and signed by Bill Clinton. It banned federal recognition of same-sex marriage by limiting the definition of marriage to the union of one man and one woman. Further allowed states to refuse to recognize same-sex marriage granted under the laws of their state. However, um, if it's still in effect, it's laughed at. 1997, St. Olaf's Church, a stone church in the 16th century in Terrava, Finland, is burned down by a burglar. 1999, a Chi Chi earthquake occurs in central Taiwan, leaving 2,400 people dead. 2001, America, a tribute to heroes, is broadcast by over 35 network and cable channels, raised over $200 million for the victims of the September 11th attacks. 2001, Ross Parker is murdered in Peterborough, England by a gang of 10 British Pakistani youths. 2003, the Galileo spacecraft is terminated by sending it into Jupiter's atmosphere. 
2012, three Egyptian militants opened fire on a group of Israeli soldiers in a southern Israel cross-border attack. 2013, Al-Shabaab Islamic militants attacked the Westgate shopping mall in Kenya, killing at least 67 people. 2018, killing of Zach Kostopoulos, a LGBT rights activist beaten to death on a busy street in Athens. 2019, a 5.6 earthquake shakes the Albanian port of Dures. 49 people are injured in the capital, Tirana. You know, it's all this talk about um, activists being beaten and killed and LGBTQ plus whatever um, being attacked. The uh, I've always been a firm believer. Everybody has the right to do what they want to do. Right, wrong, or indifferent. I lost a career because I told a judge that blacks had the right to legal representation. He called me a traitor to my race and said he would see me out of the profession. And apparently, in a moment of nothingness, I signed a resignation. It's not notarized, but everybody swore it was definitely my signature. All those people who swore that were friends of the judge, who admitted in a number of interviews he was a rabid segregationist. I wrote a book about it called, uh, Why Would They Say It? Because that's what I kept being told. Why would they say it if it wasn't true? Because they're lying SOBs. That's why. Well, we've been talking about uh, some of the scariest places. Let's talk about the Trunyan Cemetery in Indonesia. They have what's called the unburial ground. And between the eastern shores of Batur Lake and the realm of Mount Batur lies a Trunyan village, the home to one of the northeast uh, Raleigh's conservative, uh, I'm sorry, can't read my handwriting, one of the northeast Bali's conservative Bali Aga communities. And more than most Balinese who adopted Indian-influenced uh, Hindu beliefs, the Bali Aga retained their original prehistoric traditions. In a book called A Brief History of Indonesia, um, this is discussed. And as a result of retaining their beliefs, they deviate from mainstream Hinduism by not cremating their dead. In fact, it led to the very curious custom seen in uh, Trunyan's most famous cemetery. It's a remote spot, accessible only by boat. The cemetery is home to a camp-like assemblage of bamboo cages. There's 11 of them, each of which contains a corpse. Now, umbrellas shield the bodies in various stages of decay, while relics of their mortal lives, such as cigarettes and money and a few possessions, lay scattered on the ground. And when a new corpse needs a home, the body that was caged the longest is put on a stone wall below the uh, nearby Taru Minion tree, a banyan tree that uh, gives off a fragrance that's said to uh, Eliminate the stench of decay. In fact, uh, 
Tariu Minion means nice smelling and is not incidentally the source of the village's name. Well, being exposed to flesh-eating insects and wild animals and the elements may not seem conducive to eternal rest, but barrel hair is considered an honor among the Baliaga. In fact, the cemetery is reserved for married people who died of natural causes, which is a sign of a completed life. While unmarried people, those who died of disease, accidents, and the like, are buried someplace else. According to one local guide, everybody from the village um, hoped to be placed there when their time comes. Let's talk about uh, a place that was made uh, famous in a movie. The Garden of Good and Evil. That's Bonaventure Cemetery in the state of Georgia. According to Minerva, the voodoo priestess, and John Berent's uh, best-selling Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, dead time don't change for nobody. She's referring to the liminal window between 11.30 p.m. and 12.30 a.m. Half hour before midnight is for doing good, and half hour after midnight is for doing evil. Savannah's Bonaventure Cemetery, she did both. Like magic never stops, she said. Once you start this, you got to keep it up. Or they kill you. They kill you dead. Perched up on a bluff overlooking the Wilmington River, Bonaventure is built on the site of a colonial plantation, the last remnant of which, a vine-covered mound, now lies forgotten among the Victorian obelisk and Marble mausoleums and old-growth oaks that line the dusty avenues. But the cemetery's most famous feature, the eerie bronze bird girl, featured on the cover of Berent's book, is no longer there. It was moved to avoid vandals in the wake of uh, the success of Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. There's always somebody wanting to steal something that has some kind of meaning or value. Bonaventure's permanent residents include veterans of the American Revolution and Civil War, songwriter Johnny Mercer and poet Conrad um, Aiken, not to mention more than a few spirits, including that of uh, Gracie Watson, who died of pneumonia in 1889. Visitors sometimes leave toys around the marble likeness of the girl and even uh, spy her ghost playing in the grass. Giggling of other children and went distressing the wailing of babies has been heard in the cemetery as well. And many of the site's mossy marble statues are said to move, grimace, or sometimes even grin. According to uh, another figure in Berent's book, the, the dead are very much with us in Savannah. And having spent some time in Savannah, Georgia, I can tell you that's absolutely correct. I was going to have a business there at one point in time. My... Unfortunately, the the venture was ruined by my then-wife. Then in Okuo in Japan, the Mountain of the Undead. On the 21st day of the third moon of the second year of Shawa, that was 8835, Japanese founder of Shingon Buddhism, uh, Kobo Daishi, died and passed into Nirvana on Mount uh, Koya in Okayana Prefecture. According to legend, he was laid to rest in the site's mausoleum. 
But when the monks later went and opened a tomb, they saw his complexion hadn't changed and his hair had grown. So, of course, this led to the immediate belief that he never died but continues to meditate, awaiting the coming of the future Buddha. Location of the monk's mausoleum, Okunoin, is one of the most sacred places in Japan, not to mention the site of the country's uh, largest cemetery, a misty, mossy place containing the remains of more than 200,000 people. Here you'll find wooden markers memori uh, memorializing uh, stillborn babies, a monument erected by a pesticide company to honor dead termites. That's something you got to see, I tell you. And another commemorating a puffer fish that have ended up as sushi. The cemetery is also known for statues depicting the Jizu Bosatsu, a kind of Buddhist saint that were draped with red bibs by families who've lost children. In fact, everything in this 1,200-year-old forest leads to uh, Kobo Daishi's mausoleum, located past the worship hall of them, they have more than 10,000 lanterns, which is that have been burning since the, the monk's death, but uh, the question becomes, did he ever die? According to adherents of Shingon Buddhism, he didn't. They believed that uh, nobody laid the rest and uh, Okunoin is truly dead. They're just waiting. Which, uh, quite frankly, is a scary situation. Well, there's certain areas that are known as the gates to hell. And we're going to talk about some of those. Um, you know, 16th century Spanish conquistadors uh, called Nicaragua's Messiah Volcano, La Boca del Infierno, the mouth of hell, literally believing it was the entrance to the underworld. In uh, Fengdu, China, we have the ghost city. Uh, demonic figures fill China's Fengdu, the place to learn about the, the afterlife. In the ghost city, tortured sinners are represented by statues. A Buddhist temple in Fengdu, before it was demolished, uh, the uh, rubble can still be seen. That was done in, uh, in advance of the uh, construction of the Three Gorges Dam. Now, overlooking the northern bank of China's Yangtze River, Ming Mountain is a, a dominant uh, landmark. And it's the home of Fingdu, the so-called ghost city that was, according to legend, Founded 2,000 years ago by two Eastern Han Dynasty officials, Yin Chang's Bing and uh, Wang Fang Ping. Having referred the material world to devote themselves to Taoism, the men eventually became immortal, at least according to the story, after years of patient study. In fact, Yin Wang, their names combined, means King of Hell. During the Tang Dynasty, a temple depicting the horrors of hell was erected on the site, making it their, their spectral kingdom. Over time, the temple was joined by shrines representing the afterlife, three of which reflect the arduous tests that some Christians believe souls have to face after death. Location for the tests are nothing to be done bridge, ghost torturing pass, and 
Tanzi Palace. According to the effect, Fingdu is filled with uh, sculptural depictions of ghosts and demons, many of which are clearly suffering the torments of hell. And the most famous, of course, is the Ghost King, a giant face carved in the rock hill. It's the largest sculpture ever carved in rock. Kind of sounds like a Disneyland of death, I guess you could say. Considered the city does indeed feature a theme park ride that gives tourists a first-hand glimpse of what it's like to go to Chinese hell. The only thing I could think would be worse would be condemned to spend your time in uh, Congress. And in England, we have the Hellfire Club in what's called Satan's Caves. The um, the diabolic members of the 18th century Hellfire Club congregated in caves as uh, well as in the Medminim Abbey in West Wycombe, England. Members of an earlier iteration of the club are often met in Somerset House in London. In the beginning in 1748, Sir Francis Dashwood, the 11th Baron of Dispenser, tried to help impoverished workers in West Wycombe, England by paying them to construct a quarter-mile tunnel into the village's chalky hillside. But charity was actually not the main thing on Dashwood's mind when he asked his laborers to excavate secret chambers along the main tunnel. They even built a banquet hall constructed like a compass that contained niches for Italian statues. But the tunnel terminated in the complex's so-called inner temple, which was reached only by crossing a subterranean stream that Dashwood uh, dubbed Styx after the river that leads to Hades in Greek mythology. Located hundreds of feet below St. Lawrence's Church and Mausoleum, also built by Dashwood, I might add, temple served as a meeting place for a group known as the Hellfire Club. This notorious organization counted among its members uh, such 18th century British luminaries as the influential English painter William Hogarth, John Wilkes, a journalist and politician, and even the Earl of Sandwich. The club's practice was rigorously pagan, according to novelist Horace Walpole. In fact, the members were suspected of practicing Satanism and sex rites in their twice-monthly meetings, during which they supposedly dressed as abbots and called the women that visited them nuns. Although the club predictably, uh, club's predictably decadent dissolution is too complicated to really go into, its only lasting legacy comes from the early sandwich, who invented something that every home has. And it bears his name. Sandwich. Well, let's go to uh, the Messiah Volcano that I mentioned earlier in Nicaragua. 16th century Spanish conquistadors arrived on the Pacific coast of what's now Nicaragua. They were terrified by the molten fury of erupting Messiah Volcano. I mean, very few of them had seen a volcano before, at least of all an active one. Easily influenced by the natives' belief the Messiah was a god. Indeed, indigenous tribes had routinely sacrificed children and virgins to the volcano on the pretext of sending them to fetch water. Aboriginal priests also climbed the crater to consult Chalchutikuku, uh, a divinatory deity, deity who lived in the lava. One conquistador wrote uh, 
an old woman with long, spiky hair, sharp fangs, and breast reaching her waist. He should have written horror stories. Legend surrounding downright demonic. The, le the legend sounded downright demonic to the Spaniards. And her volcano itself reflected the prevailing European belief that uh, hell was located in the center of the earth. About 3,555 miles from human civilization, to be exact. That's about the distance between uh, New York and, Lub and London. With, uh, As a result, the conquistadors dubbed the volcano uh, Boca del uh, Inferno, the mouth of hell. But in the end, they came to the conclusion that uh, Messiah was not, in fact, the entrance to the underworld. In 1615... Friar Juan de Torquemada insisted that hell can't contain anything that causes joy. He thought fire and light would cause joy. And since human souls aren't physical, he said, there's no need for hell to ha have a mouth. Well, I always find it interesting that uh, these religious leaders believe suffering is the most important thing. Let's go to Belize, Octon Tunacho Makna, the Crystal Sepulchre. East of San Ignacio, Belize, after about an hour's drive and another hour on foot through the jungle, is the Tapir Mountain Nature Reserve, the home of Octon Tunacho Makna, the ancient Mayan cave of the Crystal Sepulchre. Discovered in 1989. Three-mile caverns reputedly an entrance to the Mayan hell. Shababa, also known as the place of fear, kingdom overseen by the underworld's lords, uh, pus master, blood gatherer, and bone scepter, among others. Here, along a subterranean stream, some 13 people, the youngest just a year old, were ritualistically sacrificed by Mayan high priest at least a thousand years ago. At the pottery, natural objects, and pre-Columbian tools found at the site are any indication they were probably killed between uh, 700 A.D. and 900. Battered bones of these blunt trauma victims are uncannily preserved. No more striking than those of the so-called crystal maiden, the mineralized remains of an 18-year-old woman who's uh, lain in the same spot for centuries. And no scholars aren't entirely sure why these innocents were slaughtered. They may have been sacrificed to the Mayan rain guard, Chuck, or to one of the underworld lords that I mentioned earlier. I mean, they don't call them blood gatherer and bone scepter for nothing. Whether it involved bludgeoning, decapitation, or the removal of a still-beating heart from a living victim, human sacrifice was a way of life and death among ancient Maya. You have to kind of wonder... Who gave them the idea for this? You know, we don't know much about the early civilizations of South America. The Olmec, for example, we don't know very much about it at all. Well, you know, there's a number of ghost towns in this country we don't know anything about. Actually, there's a number of ghost towns around the world we don't know much about. I mean, even a 
modern city like Seattle, which is descending into chaos as we speak, has an abandoned city underneath. But let's start out with Kennecott Copper Mine in Alaska. In what's known as the Ghostly Glacier. One prospector wrote in 1900, he had a mountain of copper up here. He was describing the eastern edge of the Kennecott Glacier in Alaska's remote Valdez-Cordova area. He says there's so much of the stuff sticking out of the ground that it looks like a green sheep pasture in Ireland when the sun is shining at its best. And his excitement was well placed. Beginning in the late 1800s, increasing use of electricity, telephone, and automobiles led to a greater demand for copper wiring meaning a potential fortune was buried in those hills. 1911, after wealthy industrialist J.P. Morgan helped finance a railroad to transport the copper from the site, Kennecott Copper Corporation comprised of five mills, uh, mines and a mill town became fully operational. At the height of the operation, about 600 miners worked long, back-breaking hours seven days a week for four or five dollars a shift ultimately delivering an estimated $200 million worth of copper. But during the Depression, prices plunged, and by the late 1920s, Kennecott's Mountain of Copper was running out. In fact, the last train left the station in November 1938. Until the site was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1978, the tangle of tumble-down buildings was an empty ghost town. According to legend, attempts to revitalize the area were repeatedly sabotaged by the spirits of dead miners who could be heard wailing in the tundra among the ice falls and along the trestle bridge that they died on. There are many, many stories of the bizarre that come out of this area. Let's go to Chernobyl in the Ukraine, the famous dead zone. Well, a warning came over Soviet TV that there had been an accident at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. That came two days after the Ukraine site's reactor exploded in the early morning hours of April 26, 1986. Caused by flawed design and worker incompetence, the world's worst nuclear disaster released 400 times the radiation of the Hiroshima bomb into the atmosphere. Led to the death of 31 people in less than three months. A lot of other folks died later, often because of Soviet secrecy. To the Soviets, anything worth knowing is worth keeping secret. Day after the accident, for instance, the nearly 49,000 residents of nearby Pripyat, the communities designed to house the plant's workers, were told that the smoke they could see in the sky was merely steam discharge. So, they didn't worry. They believed what they were told, and they went about their business until they started getting sick. Now, more than three decades later, Pripyat means a ghost town, dominated by the ruins of an amusement park that never opened up. And that was one of the most radioactive contaminated areas in the world, the 1,600-square-mile exclusion zone around the disaster sites become an unlikely tourist destination. There's even a single small hotel in the remains of Pripyat, although its bread is dry and old. 
One TripAdvisor reviewer complained. The area has also become an unlikely wildlife sanctuary with uh, boars and foxes moving into a, a world that, uh, for humans at least, remains forever frozen in time. And you can still see clothes in the houses and children's toys and in some cases even food on the table as if a, they got it from a meal and ran. Well, there's quite a number of uh, other locations that have bizarre histories. One that we're going to talk about now was actually a gold rush boomtown. I'm talking about Bodie, California, which is considered the west wildest spot. According to 1913's California Tourist Guide and Handbook, the area around Bodie is considered a strange, mysterious country. At that point in time, it was a declining mining town where you could uh, stay at the Occidental Hotel for $2 a night or the United States Hotel for just a dollar. Um, apparently, the higher rate was because they had indoor plumbing. You know, founded after four prospectors discovered gold nearby around Mono Lake in 1859, Bodie was nothing but a humble mining camp until 1875 when a mine collapse revealed a rich vein of ore. And that attracted San Francisco speculators. And soon the once secluded spot was filled with more prostitutes and dance halls and thieves than any other Wild West outpost. According to one San Francisco newspaper in 1879, there are at least 60 saloons in the place, not a single church. Violence was so common and local people would ask, uh, have a man for breakfast. The meaning of that little quip was, uh, was anybody murdered last night? First sign of decline came in the 1880s when ore supplies dwindled as costs began to rise. 1962, after years of neglect, Bodie became the country's best-preserved ghost town when the state of California took over its management, leading to its designation as a National Historic Landmark and State Historic Park. Though only about 5% of the original structure remains, they're still stocked with bottles and pianos and slot machines and pool tables and stagecoaches and even coffins. But is there still gold in the hills? Well, we're probably not going to know because metal detectors are forbidden. Who knows what could be found? Well, how about Ho Tui Thin, Vietnam, the Dragon's Lair? It's said nobody comes to Ho Tui Thin by accident. The abandoned water park outside of Hue in central Vietnam is not in any guidebook. It's not on any map. For a long time, the site was a well-kept secret among backpackers in Southeast Asia who shared directions scrawled on napkins or by word of mouth. But even if you know how to get there, the roads are rough, and few locals can correct your course. So if you get lost, according to what a judge said to me yesterday, you're screwed. History of Ho Toy Thin, that means Daffodil Lake, is something of a mystery as well. Opened in 2004, the reported cost of $3 million. It struggled financially until it was abandoned to the jungle a few years later. And now the site's centerpiece, which is an enormous dragon, 
a detailed uh, structure. Sits atop a molding aquarium that rises from the lake. Foliage is overtaken the algae-covered water slides uh, under which crocodiles were cruelly left behind in cages. They stayed alive only because the locals came in and fed them live chickens. Well, as a destination for urban explorers, Hotuith Inn is allegedly more popular now than it was when it was open. Visitors can explore empty passageways and climb onto the into the Dragon's Mall to gaze out over the lake through graffiti-covered fangs. One traveler reported that my adrenaline was flowing the whole time. Covington Post output the site on the map in a 2016 story. In the end, a visit to Hothuithin can feel sad as well as scary, although the crocodiles were reportedly saved by animal activists who moved them to Wildlife Park in uh, northern Vietnam. There's still a lot of unsolved mysteries revolving around this location. Well, one of the most famous highways in the United States, Route 66, has a lot of ruins along it. It's from Glenroe, Texas, into New Mexico. For 60 years, Route 66, the iconic two-lane highway that cut across the country from Chicago to Los Angeles, was the path of westward promise for travelers as... uh, on the road, author Jack Kerouac and uh, Okies fleeing the Dust Bowl of the 1930s. But when increased auto traffic led to the creation of Interstate 40, decades later, the towns that had flourished along the fabled uh, Route 66 fell into decline. Among them, Glenroe, Texas, which had uh, straddled the Texas-New Mexico border for almost 80 years. Town had its humble beginnings in 1905 when farmers began settling in the area's uh, high plains. A year later, Chicago, Rock Island, and Gulf Railway Line established a local whistle stop that led to the building of a post office and a hotel and a grocery store, a gas station, and even some cafes. And with the creation of Route 66 in 1926, a tourist welcome station was opened up, offering water for overheated radiators, even as the town itself became a Neon oasis for tired travelers. Seventeen of Glenroe's old buildings still stand today, including the State Line Bar, art modern-style Texaco filling station, the Little Juarez Cafe, and the so-called First Last Motel. And if you wander down Glenroe's dusty main street, you'll find the remains of Route 66 still following the tracks of the Forgotten Railroad that fueled this once-thriving western outpost. There's a lot of legends revolving around Route 66. And uh, who knows what you'll find. You know, I've had a number of people tell me when they get it in the back of the beyond, there's things they never dreamed of that just sit there, falling apart in the, the heat. Well, let's go to Seattle, Washington. And I said earlier, there was a forgotten subterranean city. You know, just after 2.15 p.m., June 6, 1889, a cabinet maker in a Seattle woodworking shop was 
heating glue on a gasoline fire when it spilled and ignited the turpentine-soaked wood chips that covered the floor. That fire burned for more than 12 hours. Blaze leveled the city's wooden buildings. In the aftermath, residents rebuilt wood brick this time on top of the ruins. Streets at a new settlement were regraded two stories above the original, and the subterranean space became known as the Seattle Underground. Well, for a while, people continued using the old ground floors, which were now basements lit by skylights. According to Dietrich Sachs, a guide for Beneath the Streets, which conducts tours of the area, bathhouses where lumberjacks and prospectors clean up or typical underground businesses, outcast Chinese immigrants, Frequented underground gambling parlors, opium dens, and whorehouses. There's even a few of those in El Paso, all of which were also common above ground. In fact, not lost on the entrepreneurial German immigrant named Friedrich Trump, grandfather of Donald Trump, who leased a restaurant that was also a brothel. In 1907, a threat of the bubonic plague led officials to condemn the area, and over time, the existence of the Seattle Underground became nothing but a legend. Until 1954, when Bill Speedle rediscovered the area while researching the city's past, began conducting underground tours. Unfortunately, the history of the fabled space will always remain incomplete. Um, it's been said we all know there's more to the story, but sometimes the world moves too fast. Well, let's go to Centralia, Pennsylvania, where we have the burning mine. Well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Just before Memorial Day in 1962, firefighters in a coal mining town of Centralia, Pennsylvania, set fire to a landfill. What they didn't know was it rested on top of an old strip mining pit. Well, left to burn, the fire spread into abandoned underground mines and eventually beneath the town itself. According to uh, David Decock, author of uh, Fire Underground, through a monumental series of blunders and going attention over the years, it got to the size underground where it basically destroyed the town of Centralia and everybody had to move. By 1983, fissures in the ground were belching out lethal levels of carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide. Spring a relocation program eventually left the town a maze of cracked streets, smoldering earth, and abandoned houses. It was actually the inspiration for a video game called Silent Hill. Well, the signs now warn curious visitors of dangers from asphyxiation and sinkholes, but hadn't kept a handful of residents from, remain, uh, from remaining. 2022, Centralia had a population of 14. Population explosion, don't you know? Nobody expects the fire to any time soon, but experts say the fuel will eventually run out. It's only going to take another 250 years for that to happen. Then we have Hashima Island in Japan, the Forgotten Fortress. Known as Midori Nashishima, the island without green, Hashima is a 16-acre landmass off Japan's Nagasaki coast. It's now an abandoned ruin. It was for a time the most densely populated area in the world, thanks to the discovery of subterranean coal beds in 1910. Mitsubishi Corporation turned it into a mining operation and built a network of concrete structures that uh, housed up to 5,250 workers. 
giving the side of forbidding fortress-like appearance and leading to another nickname, Gunkanjima, or Battleship Island. In 1941, Hashima was uh, producing 400,000 tons of coal a year, but when the fuel ran out in 1974, the island was abandoned to the typhoons in the surrounding sea. 2009, after some of its structures were reinforced, Hashima reopened as a tourist destination. Six years later, it became a UNESCO World Heritage Site. A controversial designation to be sure, since so many of the miners were the only island in Korean laborers forced to work during Japan's colonial rule. During World War II, they were joined by captive Chinese. According to one expert, um, the most common stories I've heard was that they were enormously hungry. The meals were miserable when they couldn't go to work. They were tortured, punched, and kicked. More common deprivations prevailed as well. There were no bushes, no flowers, didn't even know what the cherry blossom was, according to one former resident. We told the seasons from one another by listening to the wind or looking at the color of the ocean and the sky. Over time, of course, nature had its way. The ruins of the island without green are now overrun with vegetation, a lot of which is green. Well, on that note, we come to the end of today's show. It's not enough time to start a new topic. We'll be back tomorrow. Once again, if you're listening to Ken Hudnall and the Ken Hudnall Show, until then, have a truly great evening.